see there. Okay, so the true power for sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, right? That's where you get the power. You don't get it from yourself. You don't get it by following the law. You don't, you don't get it by just pretending that it's going to happen. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You have to relinquish it on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. And the power comes from deliverance of sin. So verse 1 is that there, it, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is 8.1. Um, if Christ can't condemn you, then who can condemn you, right? Nobody can condemn you, right? If the Creator, if the One, doesn't condemn you, no one can condemn you. Verse 2, the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's kind of a repeat or a reiteration of previous chapters and verses that you've been set free from the bondage of sin, right? You're no longer obligated. You're no longer have to. You're no longer imprisoned by sin. You've been renewed. You've been set free from that obligation, from that, that um, authority over your life. Um, and God condemned your sin in the flesh through Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in him, right? So you, God condemned or crucified your flesh. Your sinful flesh was crucified with Christ. So you've already been renewed in a sense. God's timing, in God's eyes, you've already been glorified. In the sense that you're, it's already a done deal. It's set. It's done. Your, sanct- your salvation, your sanctification, your glorification is a done deal. Um, he did this, verse 4, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Christ fulfilled the law. Verse 5, we can walk according to the flesh or to the spirit, so we have this choice. And we talked about how an evidence of being saved is that turmoil, that dilemma, that struggle that you might have within yourself. Why you do these things when you want to do those things, right? And Paul talked all about that before, even in himself, that we find this law at hand, right? That when I want to do the things I want, I want, I should do, I want to do, I want to please God, I want to grow and I want to be sanctified, yet I do these other things, right? So we have this choice, and an evidence of that choice or that dilemma is the Holy Spirit working in you. Um, because after following after the flesh is death. But following after the Spirit is life and peace. If you want life and peace, you follow after the Spirit. If you want death, and we talked even briefly about um, divine discipline, right? As a result of just continuing to follow in your flesh, God has been known to divinely discipline you to rid yourself of your mortal body. Um, Because that the mind of the flesh is is hostile. It's an enemy. It's it's at war with God's Holy Spirit in you. It's hostile to God, and that's verse 7. So you have deliverance from sin, 1 through 8, and then you have deliverance from the body, which is 9 through 11. And Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Verse 9, Then the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Right? You've, you've been declared righteous. Therefore, live like it, basically. Right? Um, the future effect of the indwelling spirit will be life to these mortal bodies. The future effect will be glorification. And we're going to talk about that more in, chat, in, in verses 18 forward. 
Um, but the future effect or the future aspect of knowing that you have the indwelling spirit in you, that struggle within you, that confidence of, ass of assurance, guarantees that you will be glorified, that you will rid your, that your mortal body will be rid and you will be glorified. That's something to be thankful for and praised for, right? So deliverance from sin, deliverance from body, and deliverance from bondage. That's verses 12 through 17. So since we have already been delivered, don't live by the flesh. Basically, that's what verse 12 says. Because if we live by the flesh, again, we will be divinely disciplined. For all who led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So then Paul goes into this sort of adoption idea of you're more than just uh, a pawn, or you're more than just a soldier in the army. You're an actual adopted son or adopted daughter, right? All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We can go to God with the same type of fellowship, the same type of emotion, the same type of connection, the same type of communion with God the Father as Christ had with God the Father. When he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba Father, right? Abba meaning like a much more term of endearment, much more connection and fellowship and communion versus just a yes sir, no sir type of idea. You can go to him with, with true fellowship, true father-son fellowship. That's verse 15. Um, verse 16 tells us, so we're sons of God, we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are sons of God and children of God. Since children, we are heirs then, right? We have this inheritance that God the Father gives Christ in the Millennial Kingdom. Um, so we will be fellow heirs, and other verses say we will, we will, we will reign with him, be fellow rulers with him um, in the Millennial Kingdom. That's verse 17. However, we will also, we should be not surprised that we will suffer with him right now, right? Just as he had suffered, we will suffer. Um, but we will, the hope is that we will also be glorified with him. Yeah, so that brings to verse 17. Now we're at 18, right? We good? Okay, so glorification, the future aspect of salvation. Remember, salvation is three tenses. I've gone over this a hundred times. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. Past, present, future, right? Okay, so next 18 through 39. So we've already seen that Paul has been dealing all up to this point about the righteousness of God, right? In, after the first introduction and, dis, and discussing why he needed to write the book and, write, and, and all those things, he teaches the Roman audience the details of God's righteousness. Remember that he, there was no apostle that started the church in Rome, and he wanted to make sure that they had a firm foundation, firm orthodoxy or, or, or good doctrine uh, for them to grow and build on. And so his whole book of Romans is on that premise, and his first part has been dealing with God's righteousness. So in the first three chapters, he uh, pointed out that everyone has fallen short of God's righteousness, right? Um, all humanity. He went over the pagan Gentiles, went over the culture Gentiles, and then he also talked about the Jews. They are all under God's wrath because they all fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned, right? All are not worthy of his righteousness, of his righteousness, right? 
But he then goes in to say, but God has provided a way to obtain righteousness. You can't obtain it through the law. You can't obtain it through your own workings. You can't obtain it through anything. But he has provided a way to restore humanity into his righteousness, right? And he did that by sending his son to die for the sins of others. So simply salvation comes to those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of one man, Jesus Christ, right? That's as simple as it is. The faith that he did those things, the faith that he was the son of God, he came to die, he did die, he was buried, he rose again. That's what salvation is, that's what the gospel is, that's what the good news is, right? So, um, then he talks from chapter 4 to chapter 5 about justification, right? The past aspect of salvation, you have this imputed righteousness, your declared righteousness, and we all know that when you're, even though you're declared, we haven't figured out how to be righteous, right? God looks at us as though we're righteous, he communes with us as though we're righteous, yet we are not yet righteous. We're trying to figure out and trying to grow and try to mature into more righteousness to be more in the image of him and that's what sanctification is and so he covers sanctification from chapter 6 1 to 8 17 um, and sanctification again is the work of the holy spirit's life work of the holy spirit in your life right conforming you more and more to the image of christ right so now this next part is the future aspect of sanctification uh, salvation which is glorification um, and it's a guarantee, just as though you have been saved, justified, are being sanctified, you will be glorified. It's a, it's a guarantee that Paul will teach us um, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you are guaranteed a future, a future glorification. Because the same God who rose Christ from the dead is the same one who will glorify your body, right? You are indwelt by both. We, we read that we are both indwelt by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Christ. That, that indwelling is a guarantee of the future glorification. Um, so we're going to see that in light of all of these things, right, declaring that you are justified, that you are saved, that you're being sanctified, you will be glorified. He's going to end by saying, there's nothing that can take that away from you. There's nothing that can separate his love, right? Our proper attitude towards those things given to us. We were sinful, we were unrighteous, we had nothing, yet he provided the way. We had faith in the way. He gives us justification, sanctification, glorification. It's all based upon his love for you. And nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. That's how Paul is going to end it all. There's nothing that can separate you, not even you, can separate you from his love for you. Yeah? Okay, so A, the suffering of the present time. That's 18. Um, it's going to cover basically all that, all the suffering that we're going to see and why is there suffering. Um, so remember, because we are considered sons and because we are considered children, we're heirs of Christ, right? So we have assured assurance of coming glorification um, but verse 7 someone read verse 17 actually if you would please 817 and of children and heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order 
that we may also be glorified. Okay, so that verse is going to hinge to the next verse, um, that suffering is going to be a part of it, right? Suffering is going to be a part of it. Um, so, read verse 18 now, if you would. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, so 4 is connecting chapter 8, verse 17 to this verse. Um, when he says, for I consider, right, the word consider means careful thought. Like I'm looking at all the things here, the pros and cons, and weighing all the things. Um, and he says it's a reasoning that will lead to a logical conclusion, right? Um, he's concluding that in light of justification, sanctification, glorification, and the fact that we have suffering, I consider that the suffering that we're having right now is nothing compared to what we're going to have, right? That, that's, that's the attitude, the mindset that he wants you to have, is that he loves you so much, he's given you all these things, suffering is going to be part of it, but don't let suffering bother you because you've got everything to look forward to, right? Everything to look forward to. It's so insignificant that it's not even worthy of really whining about. And in fact, we've, we've learned too that suffering is a good thing. Why do we say that suffering is a good thing? <laughs> it produces certain characters. Right, it teaches it you something. You. Yeah, right. Without suffering, are you going to be refined? Or are you going to have testing of your patience? Are you going to have testing of your character, right? Those things produce in you qualities that you want. You just may not want to get them by going through that, but there's no way to get them without going through that, right? I mean, our, anybody who has had children, you, you know that. We, we discipline our children because we know that they have to have these things and have, have to have character built in them and tested character. Um, is only going to last in a test, right? Verse being tested. Okay, so so far are we good? Any any thoughts or comments or questions, ideas? Good. All right. Um, okay, so this verse now starts as sort of a starting point for discussing suffering and glory and glory, right? He's it's a giving you, he says, we know you're gonna suffer, and imagine we can imagine that the early believers suffered quite a bit more than we've suffered. You know, we, we coming from generally a society that is Judeo-Christian in nature, and we haven't really suffered like they suffered. So, but we should also have an expectation that we will suffer, and we might suffer tremendously in the near future. You know, we might just do that. So we don't want to pretend that we don't need to worry about it. Um, but his audience probably suffered far more spiritual and, and even physical and emotional sufferings and persecutions than we probably ever have. Although I would say that ours, our sufferings, our persecution is probably far more um, deceitful, right? We, we are constantly being deceived by the world about what is important, about what is valuable, about where you know how we should talk or eat or dress or whatever these things are we i think we live in times that are very deceiving where where we are are being bombarded with uh psychological sort of propaganda or or ideas versus just head-on face-to-face physical abuse or something like that yeah. um 
Okay, so we're going to see that there's this suffering affects three areas. Um, it's going to be all of creation, and then God's children and even God's spirit suffer this side of the rapture. So let's look at the suffering of creation first, and that's covered in 19 through 22. So we're going to see that first in 19, there's this relationship, um, and it's the relationship that believers have with creation. So we have this relationship with physical creation, the things that were created, and there's, a, there's also a future aspect of this relationship. So if someone would read verse 19, please. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. To be. So who are the sons of God? Anybody? Jesus is the Son of God. That's right. That's right. We believers are the sons of God, right? So the creation, this verse is saying that the creation, right? The Yosemite and Yellowstone and all these beautiful places are waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. When is the revealing of the Son of God? Sons of God. We just learned a couple of verses that we are also called sons of God, right? We're adopted. We're children of God. We're sons of God. So the creation, the beaches, the beautiful places are eagerly waiting for us to be revealed. When are you revealed to creation? At the, yeah, right, at the second coming. When we come, when we're glorified and we come back with him, right, there's a restoration. When Christ comes back the second time with his bride, there's a restoration. And y'all are like, what is this testing, quizzing stuff? <laughs> when we come back with him, we're fellow heirs, right? We're going to heir with him and reign with him. But the creation has been waiting for restoration, right? Because um, creation will be renewed. It's going to be renewed from being cursed at that time, right? So its suffering is removed. And... I don't know exactly what that looks like or what that means. I'm assuming that it's going to be more beautiful. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Hopefully, it definitely will not look like the Gaza Strip. You know, it will definitely be better than that, without a doubt. So, so we see how creation is suffering in verse 28. So read verse 28. A little bit more, yes. But because of him subjected in the hope. Very good, that's good. We'll catch up. So. so creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of you, right? Me, us, and all the saints in the past will be revealed because they're they're waiting eagerly. Why? Why are they what are they wait why are they waiting eagerly for according to this passage? It was what? So, well, I'm figuring with, with man sin, God cursed the earth, and they're ready for the curse to be. Exactly. That's why. Exactly. <laughs> because it was subjected to futility, yeah, yeah. right? It was. It was created in perfect order. Man fell. Remember, there's a relationship between man and creation. Man fell. Adam fell. 
we are inheritance, inheritors of Adam's imputation of sin, so therefore we're all held responsible for it. The creation was subjected to futility. What does futility mean? Uh, it means void, like nothing, empty, like no purpose really, no, no major purpose within it. So it's ready to reveal itself too, like we get to do what we're designed to do. We were going to do what we were made to do, what we were purposed to do. So they're waiting for this revealing to be restored. So it gives you a sense there's a personality, right? There's a, there's, I don't, I don't want to say Mother Earth, but the idea that, you know, that, that idea, right? Um, which is interesting that, you know, secular humanism would take that idea and put a mother to it, but... The reality is there is some kind of personality relationship between man and creation, right? So like we said, the fall of man subjected creation to futility. Our fall, Adam's fall, made creation more than just cursed, but purposeless, right? Without its meaning, without its drive, without its motivation, without its reason. So it's eagerly waiting to you'd be eagerly waiting for that too, right? As a personality, you'd be like, let's get this thing going. I'm tired of this, right? Yeah. So now it, it's waiting to be useful again. And then read uh, 20B and 21, if you would. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God, right? So even though it was subject to futility, it was made futile, it has hope. All creation has hope, right? That it too will be glorified. We have a guarantee that you will be glorified. Creation is waiting for the same thing. Let's look at Isaiah 65, 17, if you would. Because we know, that, and this is back in Isaiah, Isaiah 65, God declares that he would create a new heavens and a new earth. Right, so these new heavens and new earth are not the new heaven and new earth of Revelation 21, right, which is a whole new eternal order. God is saying he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things should not be remembered, nor come into mind. This is at the second coming of Christ. God is going to create a new heaven. When I say new heaven, it, it's more like a restored, where the creation comes back into its glory, right? But in Revelation 21, that all ends, and then we go into an eternal order. So there's sort of two two parts. One is a renewal and another is a newel, right? A brand new, the whole, where we have the whole cube and all these things too. We don't, so frankly, the only, there's only one chapter in the Bible that talks about the eternal order, like after the millennial reign of Christ, and that's the end of Revelation. Everything else all the covenants, all the promises, all the, the future aspects, all the glorification, all those things happen in that thousand-year reign of Christ. All the promises given to Israel are fulfilled in that thousand-year reign of Christ. So we look, we look forward to that. After that, then there's, you know, there's a whole prophetic thing of Satan being loose, and there's another battle, and then all these things, and then gets thrown in a lake of fire, and then God creates 
the eternal order, right? Then it kind of describes this big cube and the streets are paved with gold and you know all these type type of things. So, um, so Revelation discusses that eternal order. This passage discusses the renewal in the messianic kingdom. Um, and just as a side note, Daniel 12, 7 through 12, shows that there's this 75-day period, right, interval. I think we studied that several years ago. Um, there's a 75-day interval between the end of the tribu tribulation and then even the start yeah. of the Messianic kingdom, right? So a number of things are taking place during that 75-day interval. Um, and one of them is this verse the creating of the new heavens and the new earth, or the renewal of the, new, of the heavens and the new earth. And it's obviously done by God. He says he's going to do it, so it's going to be a supernatural um, event, right? He's doing it himself, and, you know, we have 75 days. It took him six days to create this earth, so there's a lot going to be going on. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, I mean, so, but that's what we're told. Yeah? Okay, we'll back to Romans 8, 20. Um, so we know that man was given dominion over the earth, right? Mm -hmm. But with his fall, the earth became futile. It was cursed. Satan usurped the dominion that God gave man. So now Satan has this dominion, right? Yet the day is coming when the purpose of the earth will be fulfilled, right? It will find its fulfillment in this, when the rightful king Right? The Son of God, the Son of David, um, will come and rule on this earth from a physical place. Right, The people and us will be able to see him physically. Um, okay, so the creation is waiting. They have a future hope, just like we have a future hope. Um, because the, the earth needs to be a place that's suitable for God to dwell in. Right, it's going to be it's got to be suitable for the God, the only God, to be able to display His glory. Right, so that's kind of what's transpiring in this time here. Okay, so verse twenty-two, we can see why this hope is valuable to creation. We kind of talked about it already, but read verse twenty-two if you would. Okay, so when he says, for we know, he's saying we don't have any doubt that this isn't going to happen. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, right? So we, meaning us, Paul, all the believers in Romans and all the believers at the beginning, and us since then, uh, those who believe in Jesus Christ absolutely know that this creation is groaning because of its futility that was, it was put under, right? The curse that was put under it. This creation that was under futility is groaning in birth pangs as well, right? We've, we've, we've seen that in the end time description too, like wars, rumors, wars, like these birth pangs. Well, creation is groaning as well um, as it's anticipating a new birth, a new life to be birthed again, right? Looking ahead to glory. And we see that now. It's still groaning, still travailing, still dealing with all the stuff going on. So there is suffering in creation, right? We've learned now that there's suffering in creation. It's groaning. It's ready. It's looking forward to future glory as well as you are, right? 
And what? No, no more hurricanes. No more hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. I suspect too. Yes, right. Um, no more wars. No more wars. No more. Well, I mean, right. So all, like I said, all those verses that talk in Isaiah talk about turning our swords into plowshares, right? And if somebody dies at a hundred, that would be considered as though they died as an infant, right? But that tells us there's death in the millennial kingdom. There's unbelievers in the millennial kingdom. It's an, it's an interesting time, and I, it's hard to kind of grapple with that, but that's, there will still be, that's why we, we have to understand too that being an heir, being a son of God, a child of God, heirs of God, ruling with him in some capacity, unable to sin, right? You will not be able to sin because you will be in a glorified body. You will no longer be in the body that was subjected to Adam's fall. You will be not wanting to sin. You will be unable to sin. So you will rule significantly better than you would today, right? Okay, so suffering of creation. Now, part two, verses 23 through 25, is suffering of God's children. Um, so children of God will also suffer. Um, and it's the suffering of your mortal body, of your physical mortal body. Anybody who is over at Levi's age knows that we are suffering in our physical body. <laughs> you're, still, you're still like on the way up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got that to look forward to, I guess. So, Okay, so read verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so while we have a new nature within us, right, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit that has regenerated us, but God has chosen not to, to um, renew our physical bodies just yet, right. right? Just yet. So we have this groaning, this waiting, this yearning, for a more uh, immortal body that is glorified. We should have that, that mentality in our mind as well because our bodies are still subject to death, right? Mortality and death. So God gives us a promise um, and he gives us a guarantee of the spirit. Um, and that guarantee is hope within you that even though you have our house with this mortal housing, um, you have a future hope, a future hope of glorification. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 21 and 22. So 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Okay, so that seal in your heart and his, the spirit within you is a guarantee, right? You've been guaranteed. It's a sealed deal. It's done. You've been guaranteed. So he's given you a sort of sample, a deposit, so to speak, right now. You have within you evidence of the Holy Spirit within you, but that's just a sample of what's to come, right? It's just a... a deposit to say yes here's a little bit so you know it's there but just wait because the rest is coming right the rest is coming full redemption is coming so the final full redemption is going to be achieved when will that be achieved 
The rapture, right? Right, or, yes, at the rapture. <laughs> um, so first, first fruits, right? We're the first of more to come later, right? The first fruits, meaning that he was the first fruit. When you have first fruits of a harvest, it's the first, but there's a whole lot more coming, right? There's a whole lot more coming. Um, so we have a sample of this Holy Spirit within us with the promise of a future fulfillment or full redemption or fullness of it. Um, so our future holds greater fulfillment than in this, with the Spirit than it does today, right? You have more to look forward to in the future than you have right now, right? And we've said it before. If you're an unbeliever, this is the best it will ever be for you. But if you're a believer, this is the worst it will ever be for you, right? It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. So just like creation groans, Paul is teaching that we believers groan um, because of the bodies that we possess. The aches, the pains, the illnesses, the diseases, all these things are evidence of groaning, of, of you know, being stuck in this mortal body. But we have a guarantee, right? Um, we will grow old and are destined to die unless the rapture comes. Um, but God doesn't just leave you like that. He's given you the promise of the Holy Spirit within you, a, a sample of what is to come, a guarantee and a seal of what is to come. It's like a deposit or down payment, right? And it guarantees that you will be renewed by the resurrection. Um, and, and that resurrection is a, like a, a final public act. Like, we're going to, when we are all glorified, we're going to know each other. We're going to see each other. It may not be exact, it will not be exactly as we are now, but it will be something that we can remember or resemble one another. I had heard one time somebody say, it was like an idea of, knowing somebody 25 years ago and you haven't seen them in 25 years and maybe at first you may not first recognize them but once you recognize them you go oh of course it's you you know you have this semblance resemblance of that person i suspect that when we're glorified now i don't know what age i don't know what all those things are but nonetheless there's going to be a resemblance right we're going to be able to remember joe Oh my gosh, here we are, you know, we made it, you know, victory, all these things. And so there's a way, there's definitely a going to be some way of knowing one another. And I, I'm of the belief that you are made up of memories, so you will still have memories, right? I, I'm of the belief that if you don't have memories of life in the past, it's really not necessarily you, right? right. It's like a new robot or something. So we're going to have some memories, we're going to have some understanding of where we were and be just absolutely thrilled, right? We're going to be super conquerors as we'll go through. Okay. It's wonderful, though, for all the people who experienced Alzheimer's and stuff and sort yeah. of lost their loved ones that way. Yeah. They're all restored. Yeah, I mean, many of those things, horrible types of death and things like that, and people being remembered, yes, that would be a, that'll be a great time. Um, Okay, so verse 24, 25, show that believers have the hope of redemption. If someone read 24, 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? And if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Okay, so we saw how in, in verses 20 and 21 that creation hopes to be redeemed one day, right? It's groaning. Believers also have this hope of redemption. Um, we know we have been saved, right? Um, but we also know that our bodies are going to die, right? So we have a future hope of glorification, but we know that this mortal body is going to die. Um, but our hope is that we will be resurrected just as Christ would be resur was resurrected, right? Um, so our, but if we hope, he says, now for in this hope we were saved, now hope that is not seen, right, is not hope, um, or who, for who hopes for what he sees. When you are fully glorified, you will not have hope anymore, right? It'll be realized in you. Um, there's you know, verses Paul talking about faith, hope, and love, right? When you are glorified, you won't need to have any more faith because he's face to face. You won't need to have any more hope because he see, you sees you right there. The only thing that remains is love because it remains forever, right? So, and we will love him more because we're capable of loving him more in a fully redeemed body. Um, so we're just waiting for its fulfillment with that one word we don't like to use, which is patience, right? We're just trying to be patient for the fulfillment of our redeemed bodies. But again, that, that patience is developing in you hope and, and, and peace and joy and all those things. So we want that. We need that. Okay, so we have the suffering of creation. We know that as children we will suffer. We groan for what's coming. Um, and now we see the suffering of the Spirit. Um, so now he turns to the Holy Spirit. Verse 26. Someone read verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, or pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Okay, this is a pretty great application too. Just like suffering of creation and suffers, we groan, right? And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, right? And helps us in our weakness because we don't always groan for the right reasons, right? We might groan. We groan we're very good at groaning for any other reason, right? We're easy to complain and whine and, you know, all these things. Um, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us um, we don't always know how to pray or what to pray, but we find out the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and prays for us, right? And he himself is groaning with words that are too deep to communicate, right? Too deep for words, meaning that can't be described with our language, with our words. He groans, right, with the same groaning that we have anticipating because we're suffering. He comes alongside us and groans and intercedes to God the Father on our behalf about things we don't actually fully understand yet, right? We, we don't even, oftentimes, most of the time, we don't even know this, how much of a sinner we really are, right? The sins that we even commit, we may not even know, right? But here we're given hope that, that the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf, groans with us as we are wading through this life in this mortal body. He's groaning and interceding for us to the Father on our behalf, right? Um, so, just like he said, in ways that we don't understand, in words that we don't even know how to utter, right? 
So the weakness, right? The likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, right? Um, it's that it's that inability, like Paul talked about. You want to do the things that you want to do, but you don't. You do these other things, right? That's laws at you, right? So that's your weakness. Your weakness is that inability to do the things that you would like to enjoy or accomplish, um, but don't. And so in the context of this verse, the weakness is due to the lack of what? I said the last, what's the last word of verse 25? Patience, patience right? So our weakness is a lack of patience. So Holy Spirit comes alongside you to help you in your weakness or help you in your lack of patience. Um, okay, so so we know that the Holy Spirit is not does not carry the entire load, right? It doesn't take it from you, but it comes alongside of you, right? It's the same premise as before. The Lord is at hand, right? We talked about that. That Paul, I find this law to be within me that I have my old flesh at hand, and I have. Christ at hand with me. The Holy Spirit is at hand with you to assist you in these things. It's not taking that away because the patience is what you've got to get. You've got to learn. That's a weakness. You lack that patience. Um, so the Holy Spirit helps you by praying for you, right? Um, and he does this because you need it because of your weakness, right? In our, in our own prayer life, we are finite, we're, we're living in unredeemed bodies. We don't always know what our real needs are, but He does, right? So we most definitely groan for the wrong reasons. We might pray for our football team to win and not their football team to win or whatever. Right? I mean, we, we might pray just for Israel and not for Palestine. We might pray, you know, there's, there's some deep things that could easily happen here, right? Um, so he prays for them. He puts his hands to, to the work of praying in cooperation with believers um, and then helps us in our prayer life. And again, he prays with uh, words too deep to utter is sort of the way that it is. He's groaning as well. Um, just as a side note too, sometimes people who... Um, like to use this verse for the teaching of tongues... Right? They say this is evidence of, of you don't use English words or words, you just utter this gibberish, right? And clearly that's not what this is. But this is a verse that is used as saying, you know, words, what's the verse? Um, groaning's too deep for words. And so they would say that by speaking in tongues, you're doing the same thing, groaning these too deep for words thing. But if you actually just read the scripture, Right? It says that, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so it's, it's that the groanings cannot be uttered. They can't be said. They cannot be spoken of. They can't because it's too deep. So it's not just gibberish right? and, and repetition of gibberish. It's that the the intention the emotion the heart can't even be expressed with any verbal or vocal sound right so it's kind of a silly thing it's telling you that the groanings cannot be uttered so don't try to do it with gibberish basically right don't try to do it with anything because it's the holy spirit who's actually doing it for you to god 
and you don't need to hear the. You cannot understand those things. Good. Okay. So, furthermore, verse twenty-seven is that God the Father understands perfectly what the Holy Spirit is praying. Right. So go ahead and read twenty-seven. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Right, so when the Holy Spirit, it's kind of obvious, when the Holy Spirit prays, he knows exactly what to pray to God for, right? For on your behalf. God the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows that the Spirit always prays perfectly for what our needs are. Um, and the, the Spirit's prayers are always within the will of God, right? And that's another example of how we might pray for things but not know the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows the will of God and knows the right prayer, right? Not, not, not to say that saying, saying specific prayers bring about the will of God, because the will of God is going to happen whether it's prayed for or not, in a sense, right? Um, so, but the Holy Spirit is, Paul is teaching us the Holy Spirit and God the Father are communion about you, about your life, about he's interceding for us, and they are a perfect fellowship and understanding of what you need, right? And that's pretty dang cool, right? That's pretty dang cool. Um, these are divine prayers on behalf and for you. Between God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they are providing what you need. And you don't even know what you need, right? Um, so our salvation, our redemption of the body is assured because of this uh, co-groaning, right? This, this helping hand to help us to, to live this life in an unredeemed state, waiting and groaning for the future glorification to come. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and we are this, you are a special object, right, of divine favor. God the Holy Spirit, God the Father are in communication about you. All right, we better end right there. Hey, Mike. Oh, yes. Sorry. That's great. <laughs> Father God, we just bow our hearts in gratitude and gratefulness because you have given us everything we need. You have given us salvation, sanctification. We have hope in the future glorification. We have a guarantee and a seal of that. We're thankful that the, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and communicating with you to help us live with these redeemed bodies and giving you praise and honor, honor and glory. We ask, Lord, that you be with us as we go forward in this week. We pray for the church service. It be glor uh, glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.